Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. True Hauntings is a Human Labs original podcast. Harry Price, an English self-styled paranormal investigator, became one of the most influential people of his field during the golden age of spiritualism. Although disliked and distrusted by many, there is no denying that he was one of the most outstanding figures in the formative years of ghost research. He had a very charismatic personality, whose energy and enthusiasm for the paranormal made him the first celebrity ghost hunter. Price was paramount in bringing ghost research to the general public, realising that only by making the research entertaining could he attract the attention of those people. Because of this, after his death in 1948, green-eyed colleagues would attack not only Price's research, but also the man himself, staining his reputation for years to come. Welcome to this week's episode of True Hauntings. Hi, I'm Renata Daniel. And I'm Anne Rekovich. And this week we are going back to Borley Rectory, England, to now look at the infamous Harry Price and his influence on the alleged hauntings that took place. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Why did we do this in two bits? We did this in two bits because we were overwhelmed, and We were overwhelmed <laughs> once we started picking through yeah. the notes for Borley Rectory and then Harry's uh, influence on the case. We just found ourselves swimming yeah. in 
information. And I think we were already over an hour and I still had to get through all my debunking notes and Mm -hmm. we really hadn't talked anything about Harry and his Mm -hmm. investigation there. So we went, you know what, let's make a two-part episode. Yeah. So if if you have joined us for this particular episode but haven't listened to the episode prior, we do ask that you just pop back and listen to the first part of the Borley Rectory podcast and then come back to this one because it is really important that you know the backstory before we hit you with whether we feel that it was a true haunting or not. But, Anne, in the meantime, I think you have a new bit of kit. I do. Yes, the Phasm Light has arrived from Ghost Stop. Now, this is a new creation by Sean and his team, and it is a full-spectrum light, but it's it's like this little square, and it's got 54 IR lights, or near IR for those who want to be pedantic about it, and then it has four little lights in the mi- middle, which can be UV light or it can be normal white light, but then he goes through the full spectrum of all the colours as well. So it's all rechargeable, it's got magnets on the side so you can clip them together and make like a wall of lights. It's absolutely fantastic mm. and it looks sexy. Yeah, it looks very spectacular. It's very, very well built. It is very neat, tidy. There are no sort of extraneous bits on it that you don't need. And it's one of those things you can actually stick in your pocket and take with you. Yeah, and you can run it off a battery pack because it's Mm. got the C-plug. So USB thing. Oh, I've got words. Yeah. Well done. Well done, Ghost Top. We're actually going out tonight to test it. Yeah. So it's available from ozparatech.com for your ghost hunting equipment in Australia. But if you're in America or somewhere else, you can get that from Ghost Stop. Anyway, now we noticed something a little interesting in the tarot readings because we do our free tarot readings on Thursday nights on our Facebook page. So it's 8.30pm Australian uh, or Sydney time, depending on whether it's daylight savings or not. But uh, if you just look at Sydney time, you'll, you'll sort of get where we are. And we've noticed a little bit of a a theme coming along there where people will have a big problem that they want to get solved, but they're sort of like asking the universe to solve it for them, but they don't really want to do any work themselves. They just want a magical cure. Yes. So I guess often people will create all of the different types of scenarios when it comes to trying to work out problems in their head and then they just get so muddled with everything and they've gone, well, let's try A, B, C or D or E or whatever it might be. All of that's going to be just too messy. I don't know what to do. I'll go and have a tarot card reading. And the problem with that is that solving the problem gets you to the first point, yes, But then if you don't know how to actually not have that problem occur again. Mm. It's identifying the problem, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Then you're back at the same place. Like just for example, I had a lady talk to me or talk to us on the show about money. I need money. 
And yes, there are many ways that you could manifest some money and it could come quite magically or it could come very mundanely Mm. as in going to the bank and asking for a loan. But how did you get to that place in the first place? And how are you going to ensure that once you've paid your debts off, you're not going to go back there? Now, that is what tarot is superb for. And anyone who is a good tarot reader will go past that initial question and actually get to the juice of what the issue is and really dig in there. The the pockets of pus. How's that sound? My dogs are going berserk (laughs) out the back. They sound like they want to kill. There must be a gardener out there and the man (laughs) next door, the lady next door gets a gardener and they want to tear his throat out. So (laughs) please excuse the hounds in the background. Yeah, so, you know, having a card reading or, or going to see an oracle to give you insight into your problems is awesome, but... It's exactly that. It's insight into your problems. It's not the solving of the problem. The solving of the problem always needs to go back to the questioner. Doesn't stay in the lap of the reader. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing to remember. And they've got to put effort into it. They've Mm -hmm. got to change things. They can't just go, well, the tarot reader said, and then sit on their butts and do nothing. Mm Anyway, let's... That's why the law of attraction never worked for a lot of people. They did their vision boards and stared at it a lot and said, come on. They bought the book. Make it happen. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, universe. And the universe said, hey, get in line. (laughs) There's 50 million people asking for the same thing. Yeah. Anyway, let's get on with the show. As we stood on the lawn, Harry Price explained to me that when he'd been standing on that same spot with Lord Charles Hope a week previously, a window had broken and the glass had cascaded to the ground. Within two or three seconds of Price pointing out to me the glassless frame of this window, its neighbour suddenly smashed and another cascade of glass tumbled down. The three of us went round the ground floor in this order, Price's secretary opening up the doors, I examining each empty room carefully in the light of my hurricane lamp, and Harry Price following, turning the key in each door after me. But before he did so, there was a resounding crash in each room as if a stone had been thrown. Upon examination... I could not decide whether these stones and pebbles had just been thrown because there was already a number of stones lying around. We went up to the first floor and entered the first bedroom at the top of the stairs and stood looking out on the lawn, waiting for the famous nun to appear or the coach and the horses driven by a headless coachman. Nothing appeared and no more stones were flung anywhere in the house. Neither did I hear the ringing of the bells, which I had been told to expect. As I had been concerned about the crashes in the downstairs, as Harry Price was about to lock them, I suggested that we should reverse the order of procedure and that Harry Price should walk in front of me and open the doors and that his secretary should follow and lock them. 
Harry Price argued against this change of order, so we proceeded as before, but not more than seven or eight steps. As we crossed the landing, there was a series of reverberating crashes. Later, I found that half a brick had rolled down the staircase. Once more, I was aware of a swishing sound near me. My suspicions now thoroughly aroused, I dropped my hurricane lamp, seized Harry Price's coat and said, Now I've got you! I had, for when I plunged my hands into his coat pockets, they were full of stones and pebbles. I needed no further evidence that Harry Price was responsible for the ghostly noises I had heard, and I can never forgive him for ruining the atmosphere of a house which seemed to promise so much without the aid of material assistance. I have done a bit of research before about Harry Price, um, to do with some workshops that I've done and some guest speaking that I've done. Oh, have you have you done other speaking, Renata? I, I have. I thought you were just a celebrity ghost hunter. <laughs> no, not yet. No. <laughs> Did you no. ever meet Harry? <laughs> <laughs> Boom Tish. Thank okay. you very much. Yes. Yes. We had tea. We had tea. No, (laughs) but the information that I'm going to talk about here actually comes from a website called American Hauntings, Inc. Um, Just to reference them and the material that I'm going to talk about. Plus, I'm going to talk a little bit about his famous blue book, which will be just a little bit down in the conversation. But I want to start off by saying that actually 1929 was the year that Price got involved with Borley Rectory. And this really took over his life until his final days. He spent years and years and years investigating Borley Rectory. And I think that, and I know a lot of people have many things to say about Harry Price, What intrigues me is why would he keep doing it if he wasn't truly interested in the phenomena? There's only so much charlatanism that can be done. Fakery. And fakery Fakery. that can be done. (laughs) And then it would just get boring. And he was an intelligent man. Mm. And was, uh, was he actually making any money to, apart from the books that he wrote, at the time, was he making any money to bring people in? No. If anything, he was spending money. Yes, there were no tours or anything established to bring people in to the house. He went into a house that was in lockdown. There was nothing going on. Mm. So when the, the last owners moved out, they actually offered Harry the house to buy. Wow. And he decided, no, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to lease the place for a year. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to bring in a set of observers mm-hmm. who are going to stay there day and night and take notes. So they were there 24-7. There was 24/7. always someone on watch. So this was also a new concept, mm. completely new concept. So Harry really revolutionised this whole process of paranormal research 
And what was more intriguing was that the people that he chose to be the observers were not learned people. They were not from the highest echelons of English aristocracy. Why would he do that? Like the SPR, let's just say. (laughs) Why would he do that, though? People who were not paranormal investigators weren't that way inclined, weren't scientists. Because he was looking at biases, and looking at, at the biases of the time and of people of the time. And, and it talks about how difficult it was for him to choose 40 people. It took a really long time mm. to choose the 40 that he used to sit in the house. And I don't think things went well with the amount of people that he chose, but we've kind of gone a little bit further in. So I, I want to sort of digress back and and talk a little bit about Harry's background and only very, very briefly just mention that he was no one in particularly special. Like he was oh, just we're born. we're all special, Renata. <laughs> he was just born of normal parents. <laughs> he was born from a woman's he, womb. He had an experience early on. And I don't know how that translated then into the magical work that he did and his showmanship and the... the now, the, when we say magic, it's not with a K, it's yeah, with a C. With a C. He was sleight of hand and yeah. tricks magic. Yeah. So he, he went into sort of that profession. He always must have been someone who had a, a good rapport with people and, as we talked about to begin with, he was very, very charismatic. Mm-hmm. So not to be able to use the gifts that he already already had would have really been, you know, a little bit tragic. He milked it. He just did everything that he could as an intelligent man to work people out and to then go in and make money out of what he was doing. Well, this is where we, you know, always come and cropper with paranormal investigators and ghost hunters and people like us is where do you draw the line of making money? It's sort of an unwritten rule that you you don't charge people to help them with a paranormal problem. But if you've got to travel and get there and get a motel or, or whatever, does that come out of your own pocket or is it okay to ask them? And then you know, to actually make money. People seem to have an issue with it. Mm. It falls into the realm of this idea of it not being anything that is a tangible asset. You know, if if you buy a pie and hand over $3 or whatever it is, you've got a pie for the $3. If you've got a psychic reading, it could be a bad one or a good one or you don't really know. Yeah. 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 So you've spent time with someone and you've had a bit of a chat, should you be paying for that? Yeah. Um, you've invited people into your home to have a look around and to see if you have a ghost. But if they tell you, well, you don't have a ghost and you don't agree with them, mm. you know, is then do you pay them just because you don't agree with what they have just said? Mm-hmm. There, there's kind of a bit of a grey area where maybe some standards and some you want to put some rules and regulations in place? Good luck with that. Your throat will be cut by morning. I tell you now. Oh, who would sit on that panel? Can you imagine it? 
So Harry Price, <laughs> let me segue back into Harry Price. He leased the house for a year and he decided that, that he would run a proper investigation or an investigation that in his eyes would be seen as a proper paranormal investigation. He set out to find 40 people who would be part of this investigation. So he did something that anyone in his position would do. He put a ad in the local paper. (laughs) Anyone want to come study a haunted house? Oh, I would love to see that ad. I would be putting my hand up. Well, guess what? I've got it here and I'm going to read it out to you. We wouldn't be picked because we would have bias and we are ghost hunters. So (laughs) we've studied stuff, so it'd be no good. So in the Times on May 25th, 1937, he was looking for open-minded researchers to literally camp out at the rectory and they were to record any phenomena that took place in their presence. And the advertisement read in big letters, Haunted House, Responsible Persons of Leisure and Intelligence, Intrepid, Critical and Unbiased, are invited to join Rota of Observers in a year's night and day investigation of alleged haunted house in home counties. Printed instructions supplied. (laughs) Isn't that great? Scientific training or ability to operate simple instruments and advantage. So you can press a button. Mm -hmm. Yay! House situated in lonely hamlet, so own car is essential. And then he says, right to box, blah, 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 the times. So he was literally submerged by people who wanted to go. I can imagine. (laughs) And most of them were unsuitable, but he did eventually choose 40 people. And then he printed off the first ever handbook on how to conduct a paranormal investigation. Now, is that the blue book? That's the blue book. Oh, I haven't actually laid eyes on the blue book. I have a copy. Oh, do you? (laughs) Oh, I'm jealous. Well, it's it's a downloaded copy. Yeah. And you can actually find this on a site uh, on the internet. It's an archival site and they I can actually provide a link later on, but it has the full blue book there. And look, it's not huge. It's a few pages. And I'm just going to take a moment to read a few things out of it because okay. really it's very, very intuitive, basic knowledge, but I just I just wonder whether everyone who goes out investigating still does this. Okay. Cuz remember we're we're in the 1930s when this was written. Right. So it's almost 100 years. Yeah. Almost 100 years. Yeah, we're in the 1920s. What are we in now? The 2020s? <laughs> so the book itself has seven pages. Oh, you're not going to read all seven pages. No, I'm I want not. some time to do my stuff. I know. I'm not. I'm not. That's why I, yeah, I'm only going to do a little bit. And instructions include things like this. When going on duty, search the house thoroughly, close and fasten all doors and windows. If thought necessary, these can be sealed. Now, I really like that because that's something we don't do anymore. And then you come back and go, did I leave that door open or didn't I? If you'd gone through and shut everything and it was part of the job, then you would know. Each observer should provide himself with the following articles in addition to night clothes. Night clothes? Night clothes. I mean your jammies? Jammies, Put yes. Put your PJs on. Go, Note go block, pencils, good watch with second hand, candle and matches, pocket electric torch, brandy flask, <laughs> <laughs> sandwiches, etc. If he possesses a camera, this can be used. Rubber or felt-soled shoes should be worn. 
And this is really interesting because I always try and wear shoes when I'm out investigating that make no sound. Yes. So so many people have that squeak, squeak, squeak. Or um, Not talking about you, Mick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So as silent as you can be would be really good because, I mean, then you can sneak up on the ghosts and they can't hear you. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) I'm sure that's going to work. And then he goes through and he talks about how many hours you should spend every day in particular areas. So half an hour before and half an hour after sunset in the summer house, remain perfectly quiet and watch the nuns walk on far side of the lawn. If phenomena appear strong, then persons whose telephone numbers have been handed to you, uh, give them a call. Get your mobile out. Get your cell phone out. Give them a call. Establish your base in one room and keep all your equipment, etc. at this point. Keep the electric torch in your pocket always. Should strangers call, be courteous to them, he says. And tell them to finacle off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, your report and notes should be posted to the Secretary of the London Council of Psychical Investigation, which Harry set up. That's his the- <laughs> own organisation. So he was the boss yes. and could say who could join. Yeah. But then he goes into what, what do you do if certain things happen? So bell ringing. If a bell rings, immediately ascertain which bell and from what room or place the pool was operated. Uh, movement of objects when going on duty see that objects are on chalked outlines and check frequently yeah the chalked outline is such an old simple thing to do yeah wraps and knocks ascertain exact location and whether soft or percussive Uh, perfumes if air becomes Scented, try to identify perfume, lights. We've got a ports here as well, disappearances, thermal variations. Then we have another bit that talks about the exterior of the house. And an important note, although some or all of the above phenomena may be observed, it is very important that the greatest effort should be made to ascertain whether such manifestations are due to normal causes such as rats, Small boys, the villagers, the wind, wood shrieking, <laughs> the death watch beetle, farm animals raising the doors, etc. Trees brushing against the windows, birds in the chimney, stack all between double walls, etc. That's great. That's a good list, small boys. I know. <laughs> Isn't that good? So, oh. you know, nothing too crazy. And, like, people have said that giving people that blue book was – tantamount to front-loading. Yeah, true, because that's what they're looking for now. They might be missing something else. But if they're not trained in any way and unfamiliar with what to look for, they've they've got to get some sort of instruction Mm -hmm. on something because it's not like you can watch the ghost hunting TV shows like now. That's true. There's nothing. That's true. And also what he wanted was he wanted certain spots observed daily. Mm. at the same time, Mm. so that there was a consistency in the reports that he was getting. Mm -hmm. So I I really don't find anything too wrong with any of that. Mm -hmm. If you have any time to look up Harry Price and to look at who he was and the things that he did, it's it's well worthwhile doing the research and reading about it. He did put out two books after the investigations. One was called um, The Most Haunted House in England and the Mm -hmm. other one was The End of Borley Rectory, which you have. Mm And again, this was a person who did outstanding work for bringing the 
paranormal community into the eyes of ordinary people and what paranormal researchers or enthusiasts were really all about. So I I have great respect for this man mm. because he did it in a time when nobody else was doing it. And did he do everything right? Mm, who no. does everything right? Who but does it, everything right? Especially the first time. You, yeah. You're establishing something for the first time, then it needs to be improved on. Obviously, it's not going to be perfect first go through. Did he have the best character and the the best background? Probably not. Because someone's personable and funny doesn't mean that they're crap at what they do. <laughs> That's exactly right. Just, <laughs> just maybe speaking on behalf of myself there. Oh, dear. Uh, and were there people who were ready to stab him in the back because he was trying to do something different and uh, well, I may kind be of, able to talk about that. <laughs> kind of reach beyond the level that they believed that they believed was the, the level that he should be playing because mm. he was playing outside the sandbox. He was. How dare he? Yeah. He was in another yard completely. <laughs> <laughs> He'd got his own little dirt patch full of worms and was going for it. So I, I'm, I'm at that point I'm going to hand over to you. The most important thing was to, you know, talk about the fact that Harry really did this in a completely different and unique way. And yes, he did write the very first how-to for paranormal investigators. Hi, I'm Delon Grant. And I'm Francesca Ramsey. And together we host the podcast, Let Me Fix It. Each week we explore something from the past and then we pitch how to fix it for today. But forget about the past. Let's talk about the new show of the moment. Delon, did you get a chance to watch the new Queenie trailer I sent you? How dare you send me this amazing <laughs> show that took me back to every messy breakup I've ever had. Thank God I had you through my 20s. Now, you could not pay me to go back and relive those days. But thankfully, we will be living as Queenie navigates her messy 20s the new series queenie is now streaming on hulu if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with juvederm volbella xc and juvederm ultra xc your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com today that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly. But sometimes when you drink that much water, 
it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. So what I wanted to do was just uh, like go back over a little bit of the, the families that lived there very briefly, but bring up a few little pointers that may lead to what caused this haunting here at the rectory. Because I didn't get to do my debunking on the last episode. No, because I talked too long. No, 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 that's okay. <laughs> now, let's let's look at Henry Bull, who was the very first one who came in there. Now, they had a huge family, right? I think oh, it was yes, 13, 14, 13, 14 children. 13 or 14. Now, out of all those kids, only three boys were sent to college and all the girls stayed at home and were educated. Now, they were educated quite well, so they were intelligent, but... They were bored. Mm-hmm. They were in this rather small house. Even though they built all these extra rooms, mm-hmm. they got quite bored. So what they would do... No, Borley wasn't... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Borley. Oh, dear. I'm oh, sorry for people in mm. Borley. I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it's an absolutely beautiful part of England. But at back then, let's say back then, there wasn't that much to do. No, no. But they did have the occasional excitement of dances and tennis parties and a rare foreign holiday. But their other interests, now this is really interesting, one of their interests was chair walking. What the freaking hell is chair So this is a bit like table tipping. And so they think that that they would also have held seances. Some of them like to read, read ghost stories and few had started to create their own stories mm-hmm. with ghostly nuns and coaches. Mm-hmm. All right. So can you see where yeah. we may have had the origins of where this came from? Mm-hmm. Now, Harry was one of these sons that went away and came back. So the the younger boys, the other two boys thought it was all nonsense, but Harry quite enjoyed it and was drawn in by it. So now you can imagine them sitting out the back in the summer house and feeding each other on these stories of, mm-hmm. of ghosts. Because they're bored and scaring the younger ones. I can just see the older ones scaring the younger ones. Anyway. We saw the nun today. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you better do what I tell you to or I'm going to tell the nun where you are. <laughs> there was only three of the family that ever actually saw the ghost and apparently none of the servants mm-hmm. right, for this particular family. So two of the girls started to build up the legend about the monastery and the elopement with the monk and their walled-up punishment, which we mentioned in Mm -hmm. the the first episode. Now, Harry took over the parish. Now, listen to this about Harry. He was an athletic, engaging chump, a long-term bachelor Mm -hmm. who had the slightly alarming hobby of inviting boys who were supposed to be tutoring in Latin to all-night ghost-watching sessions in the summer house in the garden. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Does that sound a little bit suspect to you? (laughs) Maybe a little bit. I'm going to teach you some Latin, young boy. (laughs) 
Come over. Let's let's not go there. Move okay, on. Move okay. on quickly. Now he was a bachelor, right? That's interesting term to use. But go ahead. <laughs> uh, the unmarried sisters, because there were so many sisters, they probably only had so much dowry to go around. Um, the unmarried sisters managed the house, right? So they they were there all the time looking after the house. But let's move on to the next family that moved in. There was the Smiths. Right, we had the Smith family move in. Now this was 1929 to nine, sorry, 1928 to 29. So this was the the Indian yes. Anglo-Indian with a rather frail wife. So yes. apparently she was a bit yes. nervous. But Ethel, one of the Ball sisters who was living across the road now, <laughs> kept coming over bombarding her with all the ghost stories. Oh, right. And the reason why they called in the SPR is because poor Reverend Smith's wife was in such a state of hysteria because of Ethel Bull telling her stories. (laughs) Wow. Gosh. And, and like, by the time they'd moved into the rectory, it was damp, dark, poorly repaired and without modern amenities. So Mm -hmm. this poor sickly, frail little thing is in there with this horrible ghost. Anyway, they asked to move mm-hmm. and they were refused. And Mabel, the wife, the frail wife, became more and more nervous about these ball sisters coming over. I could just imagine her peering through the window saying, oh, it's there. They can't <laughs> say I'm not home. <laughs> so she calls in the SPR, right? So the whole idea of calling in the SPR, the Society for Par- of Psychical Research, was to calm the wife's fears. Mm-hmm. Instead, <laughs> they got a tabloid journalist and Harry Price, <laughs> which just made it all worse. He smacked his hands oh. together and went, oh, this is going to be so good. So the mirror turned up with Harry and... Price was known as an investigative journalist. Apparently he was quite good at writing Mm -hmm. and making things sound fantastic. Mm -hmm. And he used to specialise in writing stories of psychic matters, medium, spiritualism and ghosts. He was actually well known for finding out fraudulent mediums. So he liked to portray himself as a scientific researcher in such matters, but in fact he had no training or qualifications. Mm -hmm. Now, that happens a lot in the field. Mm. In the present day, people call themselves scientific investigators, but they don't even understand what the full spectrum of light is. Sorry, I'll just get down off my, my little white pony. <laughs> Renata's eyes are rolling into the back of her head as Anne is on her soapbox. Oh, All right, so there's just a little bit more information. You've got lots more in the, the first episode, but let me also just bring up a little bit more about Lionel. 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 <laughs> Oyster which is oyster with an F, and he's, let me say, much younger wife, Marianne. Nothing wrong with age differences, people. Nothing Not a problem wrong. at all. Nothing wrong. No, I'm not going to talk about you, Renata. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they were a devoted couple who had been married for several years, but it was a curious relationship. Uh-huh. Okay. Once again, Lionel, oyster, is what you would have called a confirmed bachelor. Oh, no. <laughs> Rather, so she was a trophy wife. Now, hang on, rather a bit of a cold fish who suddenly proposed to Marianne by letter without having seen her for several years. <laughs> 
He needed he, he needed, he a, needed cover. a wife. He needed cover. He needed a wife. So this looks like it's the second time it's happened. Mm-hmm. I wish they could have been alive in today where everything is just so much better, more accepted. Mm-hmm. Wow. Anyway, so he arrived at the rectory. He was not well when he arrived and started to decline. I mean, the house was old and mouldy and, yes. and it wasn't going to help. Yep, those so, English winters down yeah, there. This is Terrible. really interesting. Lionel wrote three versions of The Haunting of the Rectory, three different versions. Right. Now, Marianne maintained that they were a faithful record of what Lionel experienced or what he was told about by others. Mm -hmm. Problem was that she ended up admitting to faking some of the phenomena to cover up her affair with a rather unpleasant and sadistic Frank Peerless. Was he the gardener? He was one of the tenants. He was living somewhere in the house somewhere, I don't know. Now, when she eventually moved away, she went back to the United States. She then turns around because apparently the, the person who was interviewing her really got under her skin and she got really cranky with them. And she said her husband's so-called diaries were a fictional account and most of the now famous incidents simply did not occur. Mm-hmm. So this meticulous diaries of of the... Mm-hmm. hauntings, she's saying, didn't happen. And most of this stuff happened. He was just reporting about it, the husband. He was he was actually experiencing it. Mm-hmm. So he'd be writing down what other people had experienced. Now, in comes the SPR. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez. Weren't they a lovely lot? <laughs> <laughs> so following Price's death in 1948, the Society for Psychical Research initiated an investigation into Price's act Activities. Mm-hmm. They didn't like that he had set up his own organisation mm-hmm. and gone and done his own thing without their approval. Oh, you'll love this. Anyway, so there was three people that went through all his notes and everything that he'd made to, and they were going to determine whether it was a real haunting or whether it was a furphy, as we like to call it. Now, these are the people who were involved. There was Kathleen Gold- Goldney, which was, she was actually with him at the start mm-hmm. for that very initial walkthrough and, and mm-hmm. I think she must have been the secretary. There was yes, travel. There's, there's actually a book which is part story, I think, and part related to Harry Price and the secretary. What if you'd say Harry Potter? I've, I've, I've actually got that at home. Oh. Now, there was also another man called Trevor Hall, which apparently he was very well known for bashing other paranormal investigators, tearing them down, which seems to happen today still. There's mm-hmm. people that think they're so much better than everyone else and the way they do it is by tearing them down. I mean, just support each other, people. There's no need to tear each other down. Enough room for everyone. So, how oh, sorry, but this is this one's great. Eric Dingwall. Now, yes. do you know what Eric's daytime job was? <laughs> Plumber? Oh, better than that. <laughs> He was the curator at the British Museum for obscene books. <laughs> oh, and that's he, a good job. And he earned the, the unfair nickname of Dirty Ding. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that gold? <laughs> oh, no. So these are the people who are going to look at Harry's notes and determine whether he was 
legit or oh, not. Harry's just rolling over in his grave at the moment. Oh, do- I've just seen him light his pipe and go, let me take a seat here. Dirty Ding's going to tell all. Anyway, oh, so dear. now this is what they came up with. This is their idea of what all the phenomena may have been. The apparitions yep. could have been allus- illusions or hallucinations. The sounds could have been caused by rodents, outside activity or unknown movement within the rectory. The scent of incense is hardly anomalous in the environment of a church and can linger for a longer period than one might expect. I'd also like to point out there was a lavender farm nearby. Mm -hmm. Physical phenomena could be explained in terms of coincidence or accidental movement. All other occurrences could be attributed to mistaken or distorted memory as to their actual circumstances. Equally, some might be attributed to outright deception to alleviate boredom or for commercial gain. Mm-hmm. Now, they weren't there. Mm-hmm. And this is the problem we have with people who send us photos or reports of investigations or videos. We can't determine anything really from what they're sending us because we weren't there. Mm-hmm. We can give them suggestions of what we think's happened, mm-hmm. but... Without being there, you can't say for sure. So these people are making big, big statements. Now, as for for Harry himself, I do believe that even he wasn't satisfied with some of the results that he came up with. No, he wasn't. So he was trying to be a bit of a critical thinker there, but these people were out to get him. So there was more people who tried to further damage his reputation, and this has all happened after he died, right? Mm. So he can't stand up and fight for himself mm-hmm. and, and speak. So Charles Sutton accused him of having faked the phenomena, which is the soundscape I read at the beginning, by throwing pebbles. Now, Mrs Smith, one of the people who were there who wholeheartedly believed in all of this to start with, then turned around and condemned him, saying that she didn't believe any of this and there was no genuineness to it whatsoever. But it suggested that she might have been disappointed because her own plans to write a book about the Borley Rectory were frustrated by Price's bestseller. Mm-hmm. So she's dirty that she didn't get her chance. Mm-hmm. And we're also back in a time when, yeah, women writers were trying to mm-hmm. make way, make way for themselves when it came to actually having their work published. Yeah. Now, there was somebody who came in to bat for him, and that's Robert Hastings, who published a report in the Society of Psychical Research, which I thought was good that they've published it, mm-hmm. going over again all of Harry's stuff. And he excavated the materials about the flying brick, the foisters' writings, the graffiti, and other allegations of Price's manipulations and then added his own personal bit to it and said that the reason why these other people had done what they had done was because they had their own agenda, which was to destroy Price's reputation and to demonstrate that no paranormal events could possibly have happened at Borley. Mm -hmm. So that was bias, just Mm -hmm. heavy bias. So Trevor Hall, as I said, was also one of these ones who attacked other psychic investigators most notably Edmund Gurney and Sir William Crooks. Mm -hmm. Now, Sir William Crooks was a very knowledgeable man, so we we have a little bit of a soft spot for Sir William. And I wonder whether at any point in time the church came into this. 
Oh, you wait till the locals come in. <laughs> I've got some okay. good stuff about the locals. All right. But what's interesting about all of this, right, the, as the, we said, the church burnt down and they, he went back in and investigated the the shell. But even after the place was demolished in 1944, paranormal activity allegedly transferred to the church. Mm-hmm. So they started to have things happen in the latter part of the 20th century and reports were made by James Turner, who was a resident in the cottage until 1951. Reverend Henning maintained his interest in the phenomena, especially in the church, and wrote a booklet. Mm-hmm. I, I looked up his booklet to see if I could get it online anywhere, but it, it's selling for like $700, US oh one goodness. of the original ones. Wow. Wow, yeah. Now, there in 54, 55, another author, uh, Philip Paul, carried out digs at the site because what they were trying to do is find out whether there was any tunnels or anything in there that could have been secret. And they did discover a secret tunnel that may have explained some of the anomalous activities at the rectory. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd like a good tunnel. <laughs> We all love a good tunnel, <laughs> just as long as you've got a torch. Yeah, and there's also somebody else who went up there and they did some EVP work and they got some strange voices. Mm-hmm. But the problem being is that now it started to become very notorious as a haunted location, so we know what that means. Every man and his dog's coming. All the nutters come out and we'd probably be one of them. (laughs) And they had to actually install closed-circuit television and other security measures because there was that many people coming out. And the locals, who originally were amused and tolerant of all of this, started to get basically hostile. They removed every signpost to the parish for about 20 years. (laughs) And any travellers who asked for directions to Borley were gleefully misdirected into the wilds of Suffolk, <laughs> where they became ghosts themselves and came back to haunt. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, dear. So there, there are still websites up for the Borley Rectory and poltergeist activity is still being re- reported. So you can you can look that up. It is maintained by some descendants, I think, of the the Foisters. Uh, I would have to double check on that. The church, though, is now even locked down because the same thing has been happening to the church. People have been coming in such numbers to try and look at the place because it is such a historically active place for investigations that they've now really closed the church down. You can't even get into the church anymore. Wow. Now, I have to say that a lot of my notes today have come from the Sci Encyclopedia. That's from the Society of Psychical Research by Melvin Willen, this particular article was by. Now, there is some other good bits and pieces in here. As I mentioned, the, the lavender scent, which they would talk about perfumes. There was a factory nearby. An explanation for the mysterious footsteps were most likely due to parishioners slipping in to use the dunny, which is a toilet. Uh-huh. Pranks were most certainly played by some of the locals and rats in the attic caused some of the random bells ringing. Now, they found that the bells had actually been rigged so that there was a passageway where a cord was pulled in the yard outside to make the bells ring. Right. So it was a hoax. We can be fairly sure that objects such as bottles were thrown up stairwells from the cellar, which was accessibly directly from the yard. Now, I reckon this is all during, this is before Harry's time. Yes. This is the families and things that were there. Yep. The mysterious wall writings were just happened to be in Marianne's own handwriting. 
that's unfortunate, Oops. isn't it? Look, she may have been possessed at that time. Not maybe. Or channeled. Or channeled. trying to cover up her affair. <laughs> a headless man wandering in the garden turns out to be a rather routine account of a trespasser who being glimpsed from beyond the orchard trees, would you might just see the legs. Mm-hmm. I had a photo the other day of one of Brooke's children. His head was missing because yes. his head was tucked down yeah. as he was looking at something on the ground, so you, you don't know. The famous sighting of the nun turns. Now, I've got a note on that one, which I'll get to a, a whole section on that. Materialisations of bottles in midair were subsequently denied by both witnesses. Mm-hmm. And on a site like that where it's an absolute wreck, your eyes are trying to also focus on things, so you do tend to see things that aren't there. Mm-hmm. And many of the star witnesses of the case slowly started to go, well, no, nothing really did happen. Mm. They just all got caught up in the, the mass hysteria of it. But the thing that really puts the nail in the coffin... Oh, no. ..is there was a book written... <laughs> Oh, yeah, we faked, what was it called? We faked the ghosts at Borley Rectory or something. Yeah, basically. (laughs) So a new book was written by one of the hoaxes. We faked the ghosts of Borley Rectory by Louise Mailing. So for him that was the second home until the destruction of the fire in 1938 reveals how for the first time the hauntings were created by the rectory's various inhabitants. He described how they watched in amazement as the world fell for the elaborate hoax. Wow. Let me get down here saying that the children used to take active delight in perpetuating the local stories of a spectral nun, a family ghost and paranormal activity. They loved it. They thought it was great. That made them special. There was also talk of a a magic piano. The bull's claim was being played by spectral hands. It was actually activated by one of the six-year-old mailing children plucking the piano strings with a poker from the safety of a nearby gap in the wall. Infamous examples of poltergeist activity were perpetuated by servants and children and the bulls would actually encourage it. The place had lots of hidden doors and passages and uh, I did notice when I they had the the writing up on the walls that there was a stairway. Yes. I mentioned that last. Yes, apparently last. there was a stairway that was very easy to yeah, get to. Yeah, yeah. Mary Ann decided that they, they really couldn't survive on the church stipend of six pound a week. So she thought it would be really good if they had the ghostly reputation of Borley to make ends meet. So I don't know how they, they did that. Was it well they did have borders, lodges, so maybe that's how they did it. But normally that would scare people off. The couple installed a new water heater which emitted heavy knocking sounds and proclaimed themselves horrified by the noises and pitted the skirting boards with phosphorus powder which catches fire when exposed to the air. Wow. That's going to great lengths. Uh, The couple encouraged Maya Ling, just a teenager, to walk the gardens at dusk in a black cape with the collar turned up, giving birth to the myth of the headless monk. So they just have the collar, like Dracula or something, Mm -hmm. they just whack it up there. And and they also wrote cryptic messages on the walls of the house. And because of the permanent dampness in the house, the written messages would get soaked in and disappear. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how that happened. But there is still a lot of phenomena that nobody can explain, even though they're talking about all of these things being faked. But let me just give you this little roundup here. There is a common theme to the events. It was that people were all living in a style well beyond their income. 
keeping up appearances and pouring all their hope of being rescued from financial meltdown by producing a best-selling book. Mabel Smith, the Reverend Smith's wife, attempted it and failed. The Reverend Foister tried to do it as well and failed. Harry Price then attempted it and was magnificently successful. Uh-oh. How cool is that? Wow. That's awesome. That is awesome stuff. Yeah. So who would have thought after all of that and all the research and all the reading that these little bits and pieces will all fall together? And the actual amount of phenomena that Harry recorded, there was not a huge amount, was there? No. Did Price deliberately distort the account of Borley in his book? We won't know because we weren't there. But there were many people that said because he was such an entertainer and uh, so well at writing things that if the phenomena did not live up to the reputation that it should have, that he was quite happy at times to sensationalise it a bit, Mm -hmm. ham it up a bit Mm -hmm. and give it the little bit of razzle-dazzle that it needed to Mm -hmm. make it sound better than what it was. So is this a true haunting? He did talk to Emily too. Emily Bull had long discussions with Harry Price. Mm. So he got first-hand information from her. And the observers for over a year, he was not there all the time. Mm. So the observers were just handing him uh, their observations as well. Yeah. But in, in the end, what we are trying to ascertain was, is was it a true haunting And uh, after all of that, I would have to say no. Yeah, sadly. A lot of it is built on stories made up by children Mm -hmm. and perpetuated by adults. That's true. Which, And it's not finished yet because, like I said before. Is there a part three to this story? No, no, no. no. (laughs) But the church has now grown wings and there are stories with regard to the families that are associated with the church. And the church still has a lot of visitors that come and you lock something off and go, you can't go in. Oh, you know what that means. <laughs> what, does, what happens oh, I there? I can just see us climbing fences to get in, Renata. <laughs> yeah, just tell us, nah. no, we can't get in. <laughs> well, we'll see if we can. But would so, you go and visit? I would. Hell in, yes. In a heartbeat, I would Hell go. Hell yes. I would go. If I'd it was still pay, standing, I I'd would go. I'd pay the five quid to go into the church and that <laughs> sends them a little bit of money. Well, good on them. Yes. I, that's what I say. But, yep. uh, wow, so the community thought it was funny at first and went along with it and they, they actually created a bit of their own problem. Mm-hmm. They did. It became just too big to control and too many people coming at too many odd hours And, yeah. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from this story, particularly from the paranormal community. Yes. She's going, oh, God, you really (laughs) want to go there, Anne? you know, if if you've got, you know, a number of paranormal investigators going out there saying that it is haunted Mm. because they're having experiences, again, we are not there and we do not know what those experiences are, so we cannot judge. But the likelihood is that, Other paranormal investigators will also go there and say, well, yeah, it's haunted because X, Y, Z. 
said it was haunted and they have evidence. So we better get some evidence as well. Yeah, I don't want to be left out and not have evidence yeah. because that means I'm a sucky paranormal investigator. That's if true. I don't get evidence at a really haunted place. That's true. And, geez, I have been told that personally. You must be shit because you, you don't get, get evidence. evidence. I know, right? <laughs> Oh, my God. Anyway. <laughs> oh, we hope you have enjoyed this second part to Borley Rectory. We have had, even though we've spent hours on this, we've had so much joy digging into Harry Price, Borley Rectory, the stories behind it, the reality behind oh, all of this. And we should mention that we got some of our notes from the BBC. Yes, the, um, the, the lost the archives. Lost, lost archives. Oh, there were some good juicy bits in that. Yes. Yeah. They were just about to do a story mm-hmm. on the, uh, the BBC. And it got and pulled. it got pulled. And Renata found the script online. Oh, I did. But look, thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of True Hauntings. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you have, make sure you smash that subscribe button and click the bell if you're on YouTube. I don't think this goes on YouTube. But if if (laughs) on iTunes or Spotify, make sure you subscribe. And if possible, if you could leave us a review, we'd love you to bits. Anyway... Until next week, stay on the dark side. And I'll see you on the dark side. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata... Follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.annandrenata.com. True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Hold up. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.